Hi, I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate, and welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Hello, friends. Once again, how are we today? Kate, what's happening? Well, Julie, yesterday I feel like it was a little bit of an end of an era. I sold my beloved Mazda 3 hatchback. You did not. So it is a seller's market, first of all, um, for for personal sales in cars. So I posted it, got responses immediately. The first person who got back to me, we set an appointment. They came to see it. They liked it. Within two hours, they had gone to the bank and I had a little bit more money and they had a new car. Wow. Wow. It was time, but it will be missed. I love that car. And Julie, I know you can relate because you have the same one. The same car. But I heard I heard a rumor that your family got a pretty nice vehicle. You're talking about Nick buying a truck. I'm talking (laughs) about Nick buying a truck. So I got I got rid of my beloved, very economical vehicle and we traded in for a big truck. So we've got the CRV, which Mm -hmm. is a little SUV, which is great. But um, the Mazda just wasn't doing my back any justice in terms of getting Tenley in and out of it. It was really low to the Mm -hmm. ground. So to be honest, that was that was the deal breaker. I always find that hard when you give up your car. Man, it's just such a big part of your life, you know? It is. Memories and all that yeah, no, she was good to me, little bean. It's <laughs> a great car. And, and I mean, Kristen, you especially have had some top-notch vehicles in your time. So I can also understand that you would be quite emotional to let go of some of those. Uh, for those who didn't know, Kristen drove a Trans Am in high school with the big Firebird on the front hood. So it was like it was a big It was baby bird. blue, yeah. Wow, Painted I didn't know the- they... Attended high school in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) I look good. I look good, don't I? It was so sweet. It was so fun to be your friend because it it garnered quite a bit of attention from literally anyone who passed it. Such a fun (laughs) car. It was a super fun car. The one though, I I think about that car a lot. I the one that I miss the most, my parents, all these are like hand-me-downs, right? Of course, from high school. And um we had a Buick LeSabre, like remember those old boat maroon cars? And it like had like velour maroon inside. Like it was like a couch. You went, you flew over speed bumps, like nothing was happening. And I think about that car all the time. I love, I loved it. It was, uh, it was, was a, a great car. That was a great nice. car too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kristen, any big milestones for you this week? Well, I just wanted to acknowledge, like we've been recording this, this podcast since well before Christmas. And in the last few weeks, we have, um, we've actually put it out there. And so we've been getting some comments. So I just wanted to say thanks to the people who have been reaching out to us. And uh, whether it's on social media or personally, we really appreciate it. It's, It's kind of neat to see something that you've kind of been holding off on so long actually come to fruition. As soon as it was out in the world, I knew that I finally knew that you guys weren't 
kidding about actually doing it. I thought we were just getting together on Sundays and talking to each other. We just really wanted to hang out with you, Kate. We thought that was the only way. It has been a wonderful way to keep in touch, though. And we do talk about great, really cool and interesting things that we wouldn't necessarily be talking about otherwise, but it's been such a nice way to keep in touch. What about you, Julie? I have a bit of a peeve. Uh, last week. <gasps> Don't pet my peeves, Julie. <laughs> last we week. We do. We need a little segment for that. Is that we a do. new segment in our podcast? Mm-hmm. I feel like. Yes. Everybody's, only one of us a week is allowed to bring up a peeve. Yeah. We don't want <laughs> this to be complaining, us complaining for hours. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> listens ever again. <laughs> now, Kate, I would love to get some feedback from you, especially because I know that you are active in the triathlon community. Where I oh, live. I thought you were going to say because you know that I have a lot of peeves. <laughs> <laughs> How do you handle this peeve? <laughs> but please continue. I'm intrigued. The place where I live, it, it's in a rural setting and it is lovely for biking. It's got these rolling hills and it's really nice. And I can fully appreciate why, if you're a road cyclist, you would want to be out in this area. However, it is early in the spring. We are now just in April. And the shoulders are full of gravel and sand left over from the winter. Mm. And my peeve is that, one, I'm worried about the cyclist safety in general, if they're on the shoulders with all that gravel. But for the most part, they will just stay off the shoulders and be in the lane. And it's a very scary kind of shared road situation. Yeah. Is it too much to ask that we just wait another couple weeks for the street cleaners to get out there? Or... Or no, we. I, I should learn to share the road. It is not. As a driver, now a driver of a big truck, and <laughs> a cyclist alike, this is actually something that I feel very strongly about because I can see it 100% from both sides. I personally don't go road cycling until street sweepers have been by because of the safety element. I'm I'm well aware of the roads by your house and they are the sharrow the sharrows the sh- shoulders are narrow and then they it's basically a ditch. I understand that uh, from a driver's perspective we want to be courteous and share the road. Um, from a cyclist perspective, I am so overly aware of my surroundings when I'm on the road in terms of this belongs to cars first. Hmm. It's not a bike path. So I, I, I gotta, I, I feel the same. Okay. Yes. So cyclists, just a word of warning, uh, be careful because the problem is if there's a collision, the car wins. Oh, hands down. So Kate, where are you taking us today? The year is 1918. On October 2nd, American soldiers from the 77th Division pushed too far into Argonne Forest and became trapped behind German lines on the slopes of a hill. Cut off from reinforcements, supplies, and out of radio range, hundreds of men were left to hold their ground against a far larger German force. On October 4th, American heavy artillery started to bombard the lost battalion's position by accident, killing dozens as they tried to hold the line. With supplies running out and casualties mounting rapidly, Major in Charge sent a messenger in attempts to notify the artillery that they were firing on their own men. That messenger was now the last chance for the last battalion to walk off the hill alive. This brave messenger headed straight into German fire, 
dodging bullets as they went. However, his luck did not last long and was hit in the chest soon after departing. As American soldiers watched in horror as the last hope hit the ground, against all odds, that messenger got up again, wounded, but alive, was able to make it to the Allies' base. Upon arrival, army medics went to work, but the messenger's right leg was barely attached to their body and they were blind in one eye. Because of the messenger's delivery, the artillery took up new firing coordinates and shells started to fall on German positions. 194 men made it back to the American lines, owing their lives to that messenger. That messenger's name was Cher Ami, which translates to dear friend, and was in fact a pigeon. (laughs) And so I would like to take you into the world of carrier pigeons. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So the story of Cher Ami is one that cannot be avoided when you're looking into carrier pigeons. Dare I say this pigeon is the most famous of pigeons. So to finish off that story, Cherami was awarded the Croix de Guerre, which is like the Medal of Valor, for saving the lives of the lost battalion. And once he, once she, sorry, correction, it was a, it was a female, which is Were why it's so hard. Woman? Were you which is, <laughs> I was this noble woman who <laughs> saved the lives of hundreds of men. Which is why it was so hard to tell that story without giving it away. Right, yeah. Anyway, and I'm sure I slipped a he in there somewhere. They were eventually taxidermied, and she now stands proudly on her one remaining leg in the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you can go. But shot in the chest. And still still flew on. Was able to deliver the message. And what is also fascinating about that story is that the message was actually attached to the leg that was so badly wounded, hanging on by a ligament, and still arrived at the The fact that an animal like that would have that much uh, drive to, you know, like to know what they were kind of doing. Amazing. Well, that's questionable. So I didn't personally know Cher Ami, but (laughs) really was a pigeon so patriotic to, (laughs) to to get up you know, from the battlegrounds and and continue on their way. Why? Why would a pigeon on the brink of death be so determined to get back to base? (laughs) And the answer from what I found is basically there's no place like home. Pigeons feel this so much that it's embedded in their DNA. Once they've begun nesting in one location, their biology calls them back over and over. And their ability to do so is way more than just an incredible sense of direction. It's actually something called magnetorception. I think that's how you pronounce it, Um, which is a sense that allows an organism to detect the magnetic field of Earth and able to perceive direction, altitude, and location. The sensory modality is used by a range of animals for orientation and navigation. And it's a, it's a method that for these animals, they're able to develop regional maps. Wow. Yeah, that's the why. So it, it's not necessarily that they were being trained to go from one location to another. They're just always trying to get back home from no. So you just need to kind of set them up in their quote unquote home and then know that they will always try and get back there. Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit more. I mean, there are limitations in carrier pigeons. You can't just, you know, put a note in an envelope, put a stamp on it and just 
tell them to go to this address. That doesn't work like that. So they need an incentive to get back home. While they were extensively used in World War I and II, they were thoroughly considered as a part of military theory for centuries. And use as a military tactic actually came long after the fact that they were the world's first rapid postal service. Wow. From what I could find, as early as 3000 BC, ancient Egyptians were using homing pigeons as messengers. Uh, They were used to proclaim the winner of the ancient Olympics. Genghis Khan used them during his campaign of uniting the uh, nomadic tribes of northeastern Asia. And in 1167, a regular service between Baghdad Baghdad and Syria had been established by the Sultan at the time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll get to it, but why pigeons over other birds? Well, Julie, I believe that the simple (laughs) answer to that question is that pigeons were very easy to domesticate. Historically, pigeons carried messages only one way, back to their home. However, by placing their food in one location and having their home at another, people discovered that pigeons could now be trained to fly back and forth up to twice a day, reliably, covering round trips up to 160 kilometers. Wow. In 1860, a fleet of over 45 pigeons were used to deliver news and stock prices between Brussels and Aachen. In 1897, the Great Barrier Pigeongram Service was established with service between Auckland, New Zealand and Great Barrier Island, which was possibly the first regular airmail service in the world. Awesome. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And, in fact, the first airmail stamp was issued for the Great Barrier Pigeon Gram service. Very cool. To use them for messages were the most common. But in 1903, at least one German apothecary used carrier pigeons to both receive and deliver urgent medications. Oh, wow. And as recent as 1977, a similar system of 30 carrier pigeons was set up for the transport of laboratory specimens between two English hospitals. Every morning, a basket with pigeons was taken from Plymouth General Hospital to Davenport Hospital. And the birds would then deliver unbreakable vials back to Plymouth as needed. This system only became obsolete in 1983 because one of the hospitals closed. (laughs) Well, I can't say, Pigeon, please deliver to this address because they have no way of knowing. Like it has to be to like set places. Yeah. So the most common way to use them and why they were so popular in military tactics were because the base would be their home. And so they were often used by troops and by particularly by bombers. Um, The bombers would take them out with them. And if they happened to crash or lose radio communication, they could set the pigeon free and the pigeon would make it back home to the base, letting people know what was what with the the uh, bomber. Today, obviously, it's not as big a thing. When I think of carrier pigeons, I think of, well, I think of the war, to be honest. So I think it's interesting how early in history it was discovered that they could be of use for Mm -hmm. human purposes. But today, homing pigeons are primarily used for sport and hobby. And the history of that is not so ancient. Pigeon racing apparently started in Belgium back in the 1800s. But races are now held around the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Including here. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, like I ha- I was going to say my my friend the other day, like a, a little while ago, I think it was last spring, maybe texted me and she's like, I, there's this pigeon in my backyard. And it was like this beautiful pigeon, not like the ones that are on my patio, like just this gorgeous white and brown pigeon, like very calm. They were going to call like an animal services or something, but it just seemed so domesticated. And it eventually took off and was a ho- like, I don't know, must have been a racing pigeon. Is that, well, that it could have sense? been. Apparently, what you are supposed to do is throw a towel over it. You know, homing pigeons are were probably trained or were trained. And so they're very used to humans manhandling them. So it should come basically without a fight. So you should be able to no surprise. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> Um, but they would have a homing pigeon would definitely have a tag around its leg. So you could always check the tag number. I bet there's I bet you could probably just go online and find somewhere to type it in and uh, find the owner or where it, it should be. But maybe this yeah. pigeon was just on a break on their on their way home. Well, it seemed like it because it just eventually took off again. I mean, unless it's now it's lost. I hope I, I'm sure it just went home. It occurs to me that um, when Shara Me was flying and, and got shot, I'm guessing then during wartime, both sides were aware that pigeons were being used. So they were looking to shoot down pigeons. That is absolutely correct. And they went through a lot of pigeons. Oh, boy. <laughs> like in the in the realm of, I believe I, I saw the number 250,000. Oh, my word. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good amount of pigeons. But- if you saw a pigeon in the sky, you could have just assumed that it was a messenger pigeon. Right. Interestingly enough, relating back to whether or not they're used today, which they are, and I will speak a little bit more to that, the Taliban banned pigeons because they were they needed to be in control of the information that people were receiving and mm, and and wow. putting out. That's so interesting. I know that I bring everything back to the wire, but <laughs> there is a character. This is a wire, wire watchback podcast in this form. <laughs> um, that there is a character on the wire who was a, a drug dealer, a drug kingpin, Marlo Stanfield, and yeah. he kept pigeons and uh, I believe sent messages and you know, it occurs to me, kind of like the Taliban, like uh, the Taliban was obviously on the lookout for that, but our police here in Canada would not be on the lookout for messages being sent drug dealer to drug dealer via homing pigeon, just saying. Or how about drugs being sent? The drugs themselves. Via messenger pigeon. Now, which- how reliable? I, I was wondering about that with the drugs, like with the hospitals, like that seems like a pretty you're putting a lot of faith in a pigeon, like a lot could happen on their trip, would you not think? A lot could happen. And I mean, think of, you know, especially during wartime. So yes, yeah. medications during the hospital, but you could never guarantee that a, a pigeon was going to make it. So I guess in the end, it came down to better than nothing. Yeah, alternative. Um, So pigeons today, as recently as 2015, have been reported to be carrying contraband across borders. Julie! Yeah. Good work, Joel. Everything comes back to the wire. It all comes (laughs) back to the wire. Uh, Kate, do you you know, like, how much can they physically carry? Like, weight-wise? So it's not so not much. I found about 75 grams, but I'm assuming and I don't know really I'm, I don't know much about drugs, but 
if it's a super potent drug, is 75 grams a lot? I don't know. Potentially. And if there's very little risk of, I assume they couldn't trace the pigeon back to you unless... To its owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless the police then put a tracker on the pigeon and just let it go home again, then they would find That's you. That's true. Well, there you go. We've got, I mean, we've got some ideas on how to break the... <laughs> How to stop that from happening. But sorry, what year did you say? 20... 2015. Oh, okay. So this is still happening, very likely. Oh, it's very much still happening. In addition to getting things across across the border, they've also been known to um, carry contraband in and out of prisons. Oh, isn't interesting. Isn't that so interesting? Well, I don't know. But when I think, what you think of those I don't know, prison movies where they've, I feel like they always have birds for pets. <laughs> and like courtyards, I feel like they can bring in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes you know, sense. I'm like picturing those old school, like prison windows with like the bar, like they're just bars. Right. Right. That the pigeon could fly through, but a courtyard makes a lot more sense. <laughs> During like outside time. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Huh. Yeah. Now, I mean, I did have some, I pictured some curious things um, when I was thinking about this because you obviously they would be roosting in the prison, but then do they somehow, you know, sm- like put them in their clothes and like when they're visiting with somebody, like give them to a visitor who can then, I just feel like passing on a pigeon to somebody to get out and like then strap a cell phone to its back. I don't know. I mean, it's a feat, but people are doing it. Could you incubate a pigeon egg? What do you mean, Julie? <laughs> I mean, I mean that I think an egg is easier to smuggle in than a bird. And then you grow it from a And then you like you take care of it. it. I don't think you'd need to smuggle it in. I feel like pigeons would be abundant in the courtyard of a prison. So you could, you know, take it in, uh, take it under your wing, pun intended, and then, you know, set it up a nice little roosting spot in your cell or or in a Ooh. corner of the courtyard. But it would be to our point, you'd have to then, the same reason that the bombers in the war would take the pigeons with them so that they could find their way home, you would have to somehow get it to somebody who was going to strap contraband to it so that it could fly back into the prison. But okay. it's being done. It's being wow. done. Mm-hmm. What about the incubation? Is, is, is the incubation being done, Kate? I ha- didn't look, I didn't see much about that in the, in the readings that I did. So I don't know. But I do know that one of the reasons that they, they do have such a strong sense of getting back home is because that pigeons actually do get, have a lot of babies. And so they're in constant need to be at home tending the oh. nest, I guess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they make them like, uh, as I alluded to on my patio like nests really quickly and they're really you know like sometimes you see a bird's nest and it's quite intricate like they make them and they just slap a couple sticks <laughs> down and call go, it a day like yeah so I, I i feel like that makes sense that they're very prone to to procreating hmm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another little fun fact that i'll give you is that today homing pigeons are used very much in sport and in 2015 seems like a a popular year for pigeon news (laughs) but in 2015 oh no sorry in 2013 
Bolt, which was the name of the world's fastest racing pigeon, was sold for a sum of $453,000. Really? There's money in this too. I imagine there's lots of betting and stuff, right? I imagine that's why they would be worth a lot. It'd be like a big I think sporting so. thing, kind of. Mm. Yeah. Wow. People are doing it. People are. People are doing I don't, it. Like, I mean, good for you if you uh, if you have that kind of money, and that's an important thing for you to invest in. But boy, that's like a short-lived fast bird. Very much. Lengths of these races vary. The average homing pigeon's journey is about 1,800 kilometers, which is quite far. But they average at a speed of 97 kilometers an hour over about a 900-kilometer trip. So they're quick. Again, which is why they were so useful in the war, because they were, if they made it, they were able to get messages to people fast. Right. That's amazing. I mean, I don't know if that's once once they get going, but I just know, again, (laughs) pigeons out my window. Are not traveling. I would be very shocked to see one fly by my window at 90k. Like that must be the kind. They just seem like they're floating a lot of the time. Well, yeah. and when I think of pigeons, I think gross, first of mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And I but I think stupid and mm-hmm. slow. And I do not I mean my mind doesn't automatically go to the Medal of Valor. <laughs> No. Fair point. They're very different. I think they're very, yeah, they're very different. What this breed that you're talking about too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, well, the average distance is about 800, 1800 kilometers. According to Pigeonpedia, uh, it is claimed that the greatest long distance flight ever recorded by a pigeon is one that started in Arras, France, and ended in Saigon, Vietnam back in 1931. So this was a distance wow. of 7,200 miles and took 24 days. So in that case, that was that a race? I don't believe so. I think that was just one of the greatest long distances Tracked recorded. That they, right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's amazing though. Can you imagine? No, that's uh, quite a feat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I was saying, I don't think... It, it, what's interesting to me is that knowing all of this really neat stuff about pigeons doesn't actually change my overall view on them, which is gross. <laughs> I just, I do not like pigeons. I don't want them near me. When I think of disease or dirty, I think pigeon. Nevertheless, I thought this stuff was pretty cool. Or should I say pretty cool? Can you tell us... <laughs> Did you have that written down and you were saving it for the end? <laughs> yes, she did. That is pretty cool, Kate. That is um, I tend to be with you, but I will now be on the lookout for the more refined homing pigeon and not just your average sky rat. Yeah. Absolutely. You should. And what is also fascinating that I found in, in looking at the different breeds of pigeons is that there is actually a pigeon. This is has nothing to do with homing pigeons, but there is a pigeon called the breed is called the fancy pigeon. It is basically a pigeon that has it's somehow both a boa and a popped collar, like around it constantly. I'm Googling it right now. I mean it. No matter how fabulous you've ever felt, I don't think you could ever represent it 
as these pigeons do. No. They yeah. They are they are putting forth a pretty fabulous vibe. I love it a lot. Can I um I just I didn't even think of this the entire time, but I have a little bit of a, a very short pigeon story. When I worked at the Calgary Wildlife Rehabilitation Society, I actually took two baby pigeons home as asked to. I did steal them. And I actually fed them in my parents' basement. I was young. Like I raised them with, I raised them with, um, with um, what are those? An eyedropper? No, uh, like what you put like drugs in and then you like squeeze it out kind of. Oh, like a syringe. Syringe. Yeah, syringe. I fed them with a syringe until they were ready to, yeah. So. And little did you know that you could have, you <laughs> could have them. been training them. I could them. have made them my own little personal army. On top of Googling fancy pigeons, I would encourage everyone to Google baby pigeons. They're uh, like, they're insane looking. Like they look like little dinosaurs. It's true. And when you think of it, well, and oh, this my is because words, they don't. My- <laughs> <laughs> Julie's face. But I don't think they leave the nest because like you've never seen a baby pigeon, like until you no, Google an image no. of it. I'm, I'm sure because I think. <laughs> They wait really, they wait until they look like a normal bird until they leave the nest. <laughs> yeah, you never see these things. They're you like, never it's see shocking, them. right, Julie? It's shocking. shocking. All right. Well, every, I, everyone needs to Google an image of a baby pigeon. Of a baby pigeon. And I feel like that's something like we a, also I feel like it looks Instagram. like a velociraptor. Yeah. I do, yeah. <laughs> yes, let's put that and the fancy pigeons up on our Instagram so folks can oh, yeah. see. Yeah, these are going to be some great, some great content. <laughs> well, Kate, that was that was outstanding and very cool, as you say. Um, Kristen, do you have some good news for us? I do. I was on the internet over the weekend, and a friend of mine posted a quote that really got me thinking, and I wanted to pose a question to both of you. And I'm going to read the quote first, and then I'm going to tell you my example, and then I hope that you have an example of your own to share because I thought this was quite interesting. So some stranger somewhere still remembers you because you were kind to them when no one else was. And so I would ask that both of you think of a situation when you were maybe sad or down and out or even in like danger or something and someone random helped you and that you don't have a clue who that person was or it was somebody that you barely knew. Like that you just, it wasn't like your best friend who you would expect to come to your rescue. And I thought that quote was so cool because every time I hear anything kind of like that, I think of one situation in high school when I was going through a situation with a teacher and it was kind of really impacting me. Um, nothing, it wasn't, I was nothing bad, like super bad or anything. Um, but I was crying in the hall and I was walking and this guy was kind of behind me and he saw that I was crying and he ran up ahead of me and grabbed the door for me for where I was going. And he just said, I I hope you're okay or something like that. And I have no clue who that person was this day, but like, it's such a small memory, but I just remember that person for the rest of my life and that kindness. And so I'm curious if you guys have, thank you. I wonder if you guys have anything like that. That's a really good question. And because I'm sure there are so many little things like that that have happened to me. But at this very moment being put on the spot, I, I struggle to think of one specifically. What about you, Julie? Um, well, I thought you were going to ask the reverse. And I. Oh, well, yeah, go ahead. When are you co- yeah. Do you have an example of that? I do. And it's funny because I myself, I remember I was having a 
bad day for personal reasons to the extent that I was leaving work like in the middle of the day, like at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was headed home on the train and a woman passed out on the train. And there was tons of people sitting around and standing around and Mm -hmm. he was doing anything. And all of a sudden, it was one of those moments where I realized, oh no, I'm the adult here, shoot. So use some basic first aid and um, she suffers from a syndrome where she just passes out frequently. Um, It's like her blood pressure is so low that she sometimes just kind of fades away and she had medication for it. Um, So on the train, I helped her to find the medication and get upright. She was a student at the university um, and other people around were calling 911, but she did not, she knew what was wrong and she did not want or see the need to get in an ambulance. Mm -hmm. And so we hopped off the train at the university because she was determined to go to class and I got off with her with one other one other woman, and we walked her to her class. Um, they were both university students, so they were chatting, and I was kind of kind of you know the mom follow where you're like kind of at <laughs> that you you clearly are not a cool person that will be hanging out with these young people, but you're still there, um, <laughs> and I was doing like a mom follow, and I'm glad I was because from my vantage point, I was able to see as she's started to sway again and she fell again and we sat down with her her up and walked her to eventually walked her to her classroom. It was a bit of the universe having a laugh though, because her classroom was in a certain auditorium that is my company's auditorium. Oh, no way. Yeah. Well, we're meant to be there. I was, yeah, I just, I, I actually laughed out loud when I dropped her off. I was like, Oh, this is this is the company I work for, and I hope you're okay and take care <laughs> of yourself. But it's not like we shared our contact information or anything. But that was a day that I realized that I had to be the ad- the adults because for whatever reason nobody else felt comfortable helping or knew what to do or anything like that. That's awesome. I think it's just a good reminder of from either perspective of like you know being you never know when you smile at someone or do something for someone, how it's impacting them, what they're going through. And even if you never hear why or anything like that, or it's that it helps them, like, it's just, yeah, it's just so important. And, it, and you know, the spy, the smiles, this happens rarely, but when it happens, I'm so made so joyful afterwards where a stranger just, just is just smiling from ear to ear at yeah. you for no good yeah. reason. Boy, can that turn a day around. Especially now when you see someone, if you're outside, maybe, and they're not, you know, in the age of COVID, when you see so many people with masks, it hits me now if I'm on a walk where you're able to distance and everything, and you just get like the most genuine smile. Oh, it hits you right in in the feels. That is some really good news. Well, I hope you found what you were looking for. 